Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of hosting Pancham Gupta at our uh, show. Uh, thank you for your time, Pancham. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me, Sakar. Absolutely. Absolutely. For viewers who may not have heard of Pancham, he's a very famous multifamily investor. Uh, their company, Mesos Capital, has uh, several uh, assets in different states uh, from uh, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Uh, and we are going to you know, learn more about his story today and learn a lot more basics and uh, some nuances of multifamily business. So uh, thank you for your time, Pancham. Uh, kindly help us uh, get started with your, you know, just the background and how you kind of came about into multifamily. Sure. So I actually came to US in 2003 to get my master's degree in computer science. And the idea at the time was that I'll work here for a few years and I move back to India and I really wanted to go back. Uh, so that was the idea. And in 2009, uh, you know, we sold everything and, uh, you know, decided that we'll move back. But we we found out that, you know, we're expecting our first baby um, and we bought everything back. We decided, you know what, it's hard to move cities when uh, at this and, you know, at that kind of sure. uh, juncture. So, sure. it, you know, why, why move even uh, countries, right? So mm -hmm. then everything changed. Uh, after that, we decided in 2012 that we'll stay in this country and I started investing here just on the side to buy single family houses and slowly it mushroomed into five different states. I had uh, duplexes, triplexes uh, over five different states and realized that, you know, it was, uh, I was having so much fun, but it was not very scalable. And this hobby of mine suddenly, you know, became uh, addiction and then it became passion for me and I decided that you know what there should be more easier way to scale the business and look, start looking into multifamily and syndications and uh, really like the path that it provided so I started looking into that and uh, we did our first deal then the second and the third and the fourth and that's how I you know kind of grew into multifamily and uh, multifamily syndications and I've, since then I've sold most of my properties uh, that I personally owned in my portfolio and I primarily focus on multifamily now. That's awesome. That's awesome. And if I may, uh, uh, Pancham, uh, how did you decide to sort of turn into real estate? Like why purchase the properties? What was appealing about real estate? Uh, and, you know, why not just continue the, your, the, like the normal W-2 job and build a retirement base and things like that? What was it about real estate that you really wanted to divert towards that? So there are two actual points on that. One thing that I 
uh, I, I always go back to this book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the Cashflow Quadrant. I read it around the same time. Interesting. Uh, and, and so I, I, I really, it really resonated with me. So that was one reason. Second reason was that my parents in India, um, they also invest in real estate. The, their, their motivation is completely different. The way they make money there is completely different the way you do it here. But sure. I have seen my dad uh, growing up, you know, uh, doing these deals. And uh, so it, naturally resonated with me and with that book i was like you know what let's start exploring this field and uh, you know i slowly started spending all my weekends going to open houses uh, near my house and so i actually bought two rental properties before i bought my own house very interesting and it's 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 kind of very uh, analogous to my story as well pancham as you describe i i can almost hear that um, isn't it something that i i typically say as well like i mean as i kind of share all the time that you know i was the same way i was still living in apartments and i i clearly remember i had six or seven rental properties even before i had bought my uh, you know first house at the time and a similar story exactly like uh, the only difference is that i scaled my portfolio locally in baltimore where i think today we have over 200 properties uh, but that's what kept me going and i can share with you all as well is that i think when you have sort of multiple properties in multiple states just the management uh, aspect of it becomes you know difficult right and that's right. where i think the efficiency and the scale of multifamily comes in you know and here like i, I always like to point out that like here i uh, in baltimore i have my own portfolio everything is here like you know we are vertically integrated so it doesn't feel as much painful but i i absolutely share your sort of sentiment where you know where you have multiple properties in different states and that can start to become a challenge because it's just not scalable the cash flow uh, perhaps sometimes can be very uh, sort of up and down you know so pancham uh, uh, help us understand uh, how did your first deal came about uh, like you know when you started into multifamily so our first deal little bit of history there so i had these properties in five states right sure. mm -hmm. and i had built these relationships with people um you know, with brokers in the States, mainly for uh, single family houses or small mm -hmm. properties. And uh, so I was talking to all these brokers saying that, you know what, I want to scale up and scale up and, you know, give me deals that you have for multifamily. Um, but then th we were also traveling that I was traveling and meeting these new brokers who are primarily focused on multifamily. And so one day uh, we were in Charlotte and looking at uh, some multifamily deals and this email comes about and we were like, okay, uh, it's a 44 unit property in Charlotte uh, near downtown. And we look at it, we really uh, like we drive through that property, even though we never spoke to the broker uh, around that time. And we liked it and we called the broker and we're like, you know what, we like this. Uh, you know, that's how we actually found it through mm -hmm. like becoming part of their email list and connecting with them and kind of came to us it was not listed but it went through every single one who who was on their list sure sure so now uh, help us understand pancham that there are a lot of new new and wannabe investors uh, who are listening a lot of times to podcasts and i uh, want to understand that uh, what would be some of the steps they can take 
to kind of get foot in the door in multifamily? Like, what would you like, you know, a lot of listeners many times will share with me that, oh, I went to this boot camp or I did a one day workshop, but I'm a little confused as to what different steps I should be doing to actually, you know, sort of start doing the deals and things like that. Uh, can you maybe, since you've been through this, uh, give us some, sh uh, share some steps as to uh, what are some of the things like a new person should do for getting started with multifamily? Sure. So like you mentioned that going to boot camps and uh, all that, you know, that helps with the education side of things, right? Sure. And education, uh, again, there's a, very good place. I have many, many coaches and, you know, uh, I, I'm pretty bullish on education, but at the end of the day, education can only help you so much, right? Everyone knows that going to gym is good, but at the end of the day, you have to take action and go and do the workout, right? So same sure. thing applies here that you, once you learn that you have to go and, you know, hit the pavement and, uh, you know, go and talk to these brokers. And the way I would say is that, most of the markets, right, in our experience, the top five to six brokers control 80 to 90% of the entire, uh, you know, multifamily market in those, what, pick any city, right, unless sure. it's a huge city, you would see that uh, pretty much that's the case. So I would say, you know, go uh, find those list of brokers, which should be very easy to find either, you know, through the local context and uh, you can find that list and then start talking to them. You have to go and spend time looking at the deals that they are putting out. So that's what we did. We were flying to these places, even though we were not buying at the time, I would go and check out all these deals, talk to these brokers and spend time and so that they know us and there are some brokers even today and it's been like five years now that we have not bought even a single deal it feels embarrassing actually when i talk about this but but the the thing is that we have been um on their list and they know us so well um and we have been in best and final many many times it's just that we always got outbeaten for whatever reason sure. and uh uh, but that's the way I would say there's no easy uh, cookie cutter answer to that. I would like pick the list of brokers and go start meeting them. And the number one easy way to meet them is actually go toward their deals because they would be more than happy to show you the deals. Sure. Sure. And that personalized visit and, you know, like walking the properties kind of that's kind of starts your relationship and, brokers can say that, okay, yes, this group of individuals is definitely interested and that brings more credibility to your group. Would you agree? No, hundred percent. So see, if you do it once, it, yeah, they would kind of remember you, but if you do it like 10 times in over span of, let's say one, two, three, four years, the 11 time they would know you. There's no, uh, like there is a deal that came almost two, three months ago and we have never bought a deal from this guy, but he picks up my phone, talks to me, spends a lot of time. And because he knows me, I've sure. spent mm. so much time, gave him feedback and we've been in best and final, never won a deal, but still they know that we are very interested and they know that we are doing deals in the same markets. Sure. sure. We have closed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's all about, you know, once you have one deal in that market, brokers will definitely uh, you know, sort of put emphasis that yes, I know Panchama and his group that they have closed 
XYZ, uh, you know, a deal and their group is serious about acquiring more and more assets. So awesome. Uh, now, uh, Panjam, help us understand that uh, as someone is like touring the properties and looking at these deals, right? Uh, help us some understand uh, like a high level, some underlying, uh, you know, underwriting principles that, okay, uh, typically when you are seeing a broker's operating memorandum, right? Uh, if you want to like, you know, let's say analyze the deal uh, like preliminarily, I'm not talking even like the detailed underwriting, but let's say uh, a deal comes to your desk. What are some of the things that uh, preliminarily you go through that, okay, uh, whether it's the cost or the age, uh, give us some uh, sense of how you vet a deal on, on its surface uh, without spending too much time in it. Okay. So, you know, uh, we have a very like we have a checklist of like 10 to 15 items that uh, all the filters, so to speak, the deal has to go through. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a few already, like, you know, what time it was uh, like, what's a year of construction, right? Sure. So, um, so we actually go through that list and actually while talking to you, I'm trying to pull that up. Uh, but basically uh, we have year of construction. We don't look at any deal, which is before 1985 or after 2005. It has to be more than hundred units. It has to have pitch roofs. It has to have, you know, uh, uh, no, no chiller. It, does, it should not have chiller system on it. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we have a median income in that location has to be $40,000. It has to uh, be close to uh, some of the retail that we have in our list. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there are these checklists of items that we go through. And mm-hmm. um, if it doesn't fit that any of that criteria, mm-hmm. the deal loses the weightage already. Now, you know, uh, most of the times we won't even move to the second step. Uh, sure. Then, you know, if, if, if it falls within those categories, then we will start looking at, okay, what's the average rent on this one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a criteria on that too. If the average rent is less than 700 or $750 per unit, we won't even look at the deal, right? Sure. And what's mm-hmm. the, and then we start looking at, uh, how much is the deferred maintenance on the property? Like, you know, what is the broker saying? Usually it's always incorrect, like in, or not incorrect, but you know, you have to dig deeper to really find out what the deferred maintenance is. Sure. So, uh, that's when we start looking into the numbers. We will open the T12, like trailing 12 months numbers and, and look at, uh, you know, the PNL and start looking at the underwriting, like start to do the underwriting in our sure. basic templates that we have. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, you know, uh, uh, does that answer your question? In terms it it of- does. It does. And I was just going to follow up. They're also saying that, um, you know, obviously we talk about uh, the growing cities or the robust sub-markets as we call it, right? Mm-hmm. And and you just shared, uh, Pancham, there that uh, uh, you don't look at deals where the average rent is below 700, 750, right? Mm-hmm. So I would equate that uh, to perhaps uh, 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 kind of a thinking uh, strategy of yours that uh, you may be thinking that, hey, maybe if the rent is below 700 or 750, maybe the area is not that great, or perhaps it may be a distressed uh, uh, sort of location. Uh, give us some thinking about why you're saying that uh, the rent below 700, 750 may not be an optimal uh, sort of candidate for you. No, that's a that's a good uh 
question. So I'll tell you, this is based off the experience. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the category, uh, uh, this particular criteria that we put out is because of the experience that we've had. Yeah. You can say that you, the rent can kind of tell you what kind of area it is. Right. Sure. So for the area, we do have the something called median household income in the, in that particular location, we can find that out within one mile radius. And if it is less than $40,000, uh, then the likelihood of having 700 average rent is very high. Uh, uh, less than sure. 700 rent mm-hmm. is very mm-hmm. high. But if the median income is more than 40,000, then if the rent is lower than that, then potentially there is a lot of room to grow on the rent. So yes, sure. you're right. But it's not always the case because you sure. always have, you know, pockets of, uh, you know, uh, bad locations. But our uh, thought process is that, you know, when the rent bill goes below that number, the, the, kind of tenant class that it attracts Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, uh, is not like, you know, they don't have enough money to, they're not prudent financially, uh, like less prudent, I should say. And, you know, if they, for example, if their iPhone breaks, they potentially would not have money to pay for the next month's rent, right? Because they have not just repaired the, uh, their iPhone. So this is a very gross generalization, sure. but I would say that our criteria, that criteria came through based on the experience that sure. the, it's harder to improve and turn around the asset if you have uh, people who are paying less than, let's say, 700 to $750,000, uh, $750 rent. So if you really look at it, we have three times the criteria on rent, right? Mm-hmm. So 700 times three is 2,100. Sure. 2,100 times 12 is, you know, around uh, 25, 26,000, sure. which is way below our 40,000 median Benchmark. household income Correct. Uh, Correct. criteria. So, so yeah, you know, like I would say what you're uh, correlation was it kind of holds true but this is what our experience is and most are most of our portfolio the average rent is actually less than or so more than 850 dollars sure sure thank you thank you for pointing that out and and this is where your experience and the practical value comes in and thank you for sharing that pancham and and viewers and listeners of the podcast can definitely you know go just google a medium household income within that neighborhood find out you know what the income is or what the average uh, value of houses are also in that neighborhood uh, just to understand the neighborhood dynamics and as pancham rightfully pointed out that as lower the income goes uh, you're almost like one uh, sort of uh, mishap away from you know either it's a car repair or a some type of a household financial struggle and boom you are into default right and so thank you for sharing that pancham uh, also pancham like talking about um, you know sort of the value add and sort of the promise of the asset and you give returns to the investors and things like that right so many a times nowadays uh, vc brokers who are giving us the operating memorandums where value add seems to be the new buzzword right so sometimes value add can be oh there is a lot of deferred maintenance or 
a good value add can be is that, oh, the owner has, uh, you know, sort of owned this property for too long, but hasn't done the, you know, the interior or the cosmetic improvements that can give you that, uh, you know, the rent bumps and things like that. So where I'm going with this question, Pancham, is that when you see the operating memorandum, right, how can an investor know that, uh, okay, what is the right candidate to pick? And you don't want to pick a value-add project that is like extremely distressed. Maybe a plumbing is bad or perhaps a roof may be going away and things like that. Share some, uh, some of your experience around those points, please. Yeah, so in other words, what you're asking is, like I'm going to rephrase your question, that sure. um, the value-add could be of different uh, you know, types, right? Sure. One is like the, you're taking care of the deferred maintenance. Sure. For example, changing the pipes uh, on, on a building or changing the roofs sure. does not really add to your income. Sure, they're changing more like the CapEx type of items. <laughs> right, so changing the pipes sometimes does add to your income because there could be very old pipes on the property. We have lived this and uh, and they could because of that, there could be a lot of underground leaks that you would not even know. Notice. And because of that, the water bill is very, very high. Sure. And if you change the pipes, yes, your water bill goes lower. And because of that, your income goes higher. So yes, there Absolutely. are, you can have that. But so that's one category where you're actually really taking care of deferred maintenance, right? Which sure. is not really adding to the bottom line. So that's one. And second is the uh, kind of value add that you can do. For example, you can start uh, charging people for utilities, right? Or you can start charging them for parking space, or you can start charging them for, uh, you know, trash that they are doing, uh, uh, you know, or you can go in and uh, improve the units and see uh, how much of a rent bump you can get sure. based on what the location and the property can demand, right? Sure. So, sure. so for us to really see when you see this off offering memorandum and they say this buzzword like value add, you really have to dig deep and you have to figure out whether that area demands that kind of renovation number one. Mm -hmm. And if it does, how much rent bumps it can get? Because you can go in a location and really do all this value add, but the location supply demand, uh, you know, uh, parameters, uh, the, the, the supply and demand relationship may not even fetch you that kind of rent. Yeah, you sure. can spend enough money, right? Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's very, very important to really know that location and what it can fetch and what what we do we actually physically i mean physically drive to every single comp mm -hmm. around that property sure. and look at the competition see the units see what they have done and see what kind of rents they are fetching and what kind of occupancy levels they have and based on that we come to a conclusion of so so that's a practical side where we actually physically, you have to believe your eyes and you have to go physically see, right? That's the practical side. Then you have the data side, right? You sure. get the co-star reports, you get the, you know, all these reports, and then you kind of see if they tie out or not, right? And then you have to figure out whether the value add makes sense or not. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for that practical insight, Pancham. Now, uh, coming to, you know, structuring the deals, uh, Pancham, um, how are you, uh, you know, like structuring the deals between your sort of general partnership and also the uh, limited or the passive investors? Give us a sense of what returns you give uh, in your deals. 
Yeah, sure. So we do a preferred interest rate, uh, like a preferred uh, rate model where we give out seven to 8% preferred return. And then we do, um, you know, 70, 30 split where 70% uh, profit sharing owned by the investors and 30% on the general partners side. And then we have uh, three kinds of fees uh, that we uh, charge. Mm -hmm. One is the uh, acquisition fee, which is 2% of the purchase price. Second is the um, disposition fee, uh, which could be, you know, which is 1% on the sale side. And then third is the 2% of the uh, gross rents, sure. which is the asset management fee, asset which fine. we charge. And we actually uh, let go of that fee if, uh, we do not meet the pref. Sure, sure, makes sense, makes sense. Thank you. And uh, also, Pancham, speaking of, uh, you know, your group has done a few deals uh, into full cycle, right? Uh, give us a, uh, some sort of tidbits about how you know you acquired the deals. What sort of you know uh, rent premiums or value adds you did, and uh, what were the return parameters, and how you exited uh, the deals within how much uh, sort of uh, years? Yeah, sure. I can give you everything. This is actually the same deal. We can discuss the very first deal we did, Charlotte deal, sure, 44 sure. units, which we, which I discussed earlier. So we bought it for $2 million, that deal, and we raised $781,000 for uh, for it. And um, we put a majority of our money also in there, like uh, 200000 uh was our own. And uh, we, uh, you know, uh, and then we sold it for $3 million uh within 23 months actually and uh and we gave out around 27 percent irr to our investors on that deal so our goal was to go in and increase the rents and also take care of some of the deferred maintenance that we found during the uh due diligence phase for mm -hmm. example the structuring was a problem on one of the buildings we fixed that Mm -hmm. And we had to build rent. There were some water issues. We fixed those. And then we also bumped the rents. It was very close to uh, Charlotte downtown, like almost three miles from the Bofa Stadium where uh, Carolina Panthers play. Mm -hmm. So first bus stop from that uh, that location. It was, uh, so we, the units were very small, but we were able to fetch the rents that we were underwriting, mm -hmm. we, we underwrote. Sure. And so we were able to sell it for $3 million and, uh, you know, that's what we did. And awesome. Awesome. 6% IRR. Thank you. Thank you. And also Pancham, like talking about sub markets and sort of the growth that it gives, uh, share with, uh, share some sentiment about why you like to go in uh, growth sub markets or perhaps how you evaluate these uh, different sub markets uh, based on, you know, where you would want to buy, like, you know, why not some kind of a decline in sub market? Why the, uh, you know, like let's say Charlotte or the Raleigh or you shared like some of the Florida markets as well, right? What is your sort of thesis around why you want to be in those specific uh, sub markets? Yeah, so, you know, we look at, again, we have a very long checklist of things that we look at before we pick the markets. And some of those things are like overall job growth, population growth, how is the job diversity? You know, uh, we look at uh, the U-Haul and United Van Line stats and how many one-way rentals were uh, done by the millennials and where they were moving and where the builders are building. And so the reason behind all of that, right, we picked 
after it checks out all of these boxes. Um, the reason we pick these markets is that, uh, you know, if there is a downturn, which seems uh, likely now, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, with the recession and all that. Right. So if there is a downturn, these markets will be the last one to see the impact of that compared sure. to some of the markets which are, you know, single player, for example, uh, you know, Detroit, which was automobile industry. Sure. Um, these will be the last ones to get impacted and would be the first ones to come out of it. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that's our thesis behind it. And, you know, uh, if you're going in the markets which are declining in population or there is no job diversity, you're basically trying to catch a falling knife. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. it may not happen right away, but it will uh, at some point, uh, you know, uh, you, you're basically playing with fire. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I also like to many a times also mention uh, additionally there, Pancham also is that you know I think the the politics or the leadership plays such a key role into you know what sort of business growth you are seeing. You know, yeah. more the business growth, the more the companies are coming, the more the jobs are coming. Right, as job creation happens, as you rightfully pointed out, like more in migration, uh, people are coming in, and uh, like a lot of times, as we all say, like you know the apartment business is all about multifamily jobs and uh, job creation and how we can perhaps increase the rents and give more returns so thank you for sharing that insight Panchum, i appreciate it uh, please share with our listeners how they can find you and learn more about your company and the projects you're doing sure uh, so my email is p at the goldcollarinvestor.com that's also the name of my podcast. And I talk about different asset classes there. Sure. And I have a free report that they can actually download where I actually list out six reasons and uh, my six reasons to invest and diversify outside of Wall Street and also um, the alternative investing space, like different kinds of investments that you can do. And they can download that at the goldcollarinvestor.com forward slash download. Sure. Awesome. Thank you for your uh, insights today. Uh, I encourage viewers and listeners to check out the free report uh, as you are uh, rightfully found out. Uh, Pancham is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I'm sure his report about different asset classes and why you want to be outside Wall Street. I personally enjoy his podcast as well, where a lot of good uh, investors come on and share their insights. So definitely check out Gold, Gold Collar Investor Podcast. And regarding us, at premium cash flow as well uh, thank you for uh, listening and we also time to time have different opportunities uh, to invest so if you are looking to invest passively uh, please register yourself using invest with us uh, where you know we can jump on a short phone call and understand your goals and uh, see if we can uh, help each other so it's been a pleasure uh, Pancham thank you for coming on I look uh, forward to hearing more about you and different projects you're doing in future thank you for having me Sakar take care thank you. thanks for listening to premium cash flow real estate investing podcast please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates research articles and more we will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.